Welcome to Midnight Breakfast Cafe, where three pals in different time zones talk about food, pop culture, and other nonsense. Unfortunately, we're missing Natalie today. I'm Stacy. I'm Tracy. We have the rhyming people together. <laughs> this is good. This causes the most confusion. Yes, now we just need a Lacey. Yeah. And a Macy. It's actually really funny. I just started my new job recently, and already there are people calling me Tracy, and they don't even know you. <laughs> That's good. I should visit. So, like I said, I just recently started a new job, and I'm meeting all these new people that I'd never met before. And my boss, my direct boss, he actually has been living in Taiwan, I think, for two or three years. And this past Friday, the most amazing thing happened. We were having this meeting, and there were members of the meeting who had flown in from Japan. So, some of the meeting organizers decided, okay, let's, you know. Since this is going to be a lunch meeting, let's call in some Taiwanese food so they can appreciate foods that they don't get in Japan. And so, they ordered guabao for everyone. And so, for listeners who don't understand, the closest approximation for a guabao would be something like a hamburger. It's on a steamed white bun. They put fatty pork inside and have some peanut powder, some pickled vegetables, and it's quite delicious. And it's one of my favorite Taiwanese foods. And then my boss bites into his, and I assume that anybody who's lived in Taiwan has had a guabao before, but he clearly didn't because he just starts talking while he's eating. He's just amazed. He's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> In that exact tone of voice, "Oh my god, this is fantastic!" Mm, what is this? <laughs> and I. I try not to be too judgmental, or just you know understand that everybody has a different experience living in my city. But I can't help it. I just turn around and I'm just like, "You've never had guabao before? What? Like how? Do you think this is because he's like I don't know the guy, but is he kind of well off? Like is this like he would have been eating finer foods and not street food? That is a high. Possibility because he lives in Tianmu, which is actually one of the most affluent areas in Taipei City. So I see. I'm imagining like an equivalent scene in American movie where you had this like、uh, rich man who has never been outside his comfort zone before being presented with a hamburger for the first time, or like a Coney Island like. Chili dog or something. Yeah, like some real like street food, like not even a nice version. Because I would say like guabao is one of those foods where it is in its ideal form, in the form that everyone has access to. It's not a pretentious food、yes. at all. It's like the version you get on the street, where normally like you would consider that in some places in America to be like the worst possible version. That is the finest guabao that you will eat. And if you get a guabao at a fancy restaurant, it's gonna have something wrong with it. Right. And so basically, my takeaway from this was also like. My thought process at the time was like, "You've never had guabao. You clearly have never been to night market, Mister." Oh man! Like, I feel like as his personal assistant, his project assistant, I almost felt like it was my duty to take him to a night market because how can you be the best version of yourself that you could be if you have not gone to a Taiwanese night market during your entire time in Taiwan? Yeah, it just seems like a real oversight. Like he's either been very busy, or just no one told him that that was a thing that he should do. Or it's it's a little bit of both. Because I do know some people who 
when they come to Taiwan, they're really excited about going to a night market, but they're also apprehensive about eating at a night market. Right. So, okay. So in your dream, you take him to a night market and the man's got a limited stomach. What are like top five things you have to feed him at, say, like the biggest, best night market that you know that has everything, every possibility that you would want? What would be the top five night market foods? Okay, I'm imagining some sort of Doctor Who night market where it's got portals to different night markets based on what food you want because, you know, some night markets do better about certain foods than others. Yeah, it's a dream night market. Or like more like if he's never tasted it before, it's all going to be magical to him. Well, for one thing, the first time I told him was also like, this is not even the best guabao you're going to get in Taipei. All right, so first step, best guabao in Taipei. Yes, I would take him to the best guabao in Taipei, which is in the Gongguan Night Market, which is right across the street from Taiwan's biggest university, NTU. Which is convenient, because when I lived there, that was like right across the street from me. So during our first month in Taipei, we ate so many guabao that we basically didn't want any anymore for about a year. And only after that did we come back around to it slowly. But this was more of a, a point in the Guabao's favor than against it. We just overdid it severely in that first month. Yes. <laughs> it is not the Guabao's fault that you ate too much of it. No, it's not. I love those little friends. That's like one of the top foods I miss as well. Like if I could import just yeah. one food to my plate right now, a little Guabao would not go amiss. Personal favorite for me. Um, this is something that's so common and so simple that I don't even know that there is a best one anywhere in the whole island, but scallion pancakes. Oh, yeah. So maybe we should give like little rundowns on these food for our good listeners. I mean, scallion pancake is what it sounds like, except unless you're imagining an American pancake, like this is more a fried pancake. Is that so? Yeah, it's fried and it's kind of flaky and it's just got oil. It's got little flakes of scallions in it. And they'll ask you if you want soy sauce or chili on it. And some places they give you the works. Cheese, eggs, basil, you name it. Yeah, and this is one food where it it's sort of, I struggle to come up with like a comparison because there's nothing really like that particular texture. I was going to say kind of like a cronut. Yeah. Like a savory cronut, a savory flat cronut. Yeah, that would be a good description because you can't you can't say that the oily aspect is not a big part of it. <laughs> oh, it is definitely a part of it. Have you even had the kind where they basically drop it in a vat of oil with an egg, so the egg just balloons up? No, I have in not. The oil. Oh gosh. Damn, that sounds great. I feel remiss that I should have introduced this to you while I had the chance. Yeah, I mean, there was so much we ate, but there is so much further that we could eat. There is always so much further we could eat. <laughs> Okay, number three is something where it depends on how courageous and open to new experience the person is. Because as a Taiwanese person, I feel at some point the visitor needs to be exposed to stinky tofu. Oh yeah, definitely. Whether or not they eat it is a different story, but there should at least be an exposure. Well, I mean, you'll be exposed when you're walking down the street and you're like, what is that? What is that wondrous and unique aroma? Like the smell of stinky tofu is so ubiquitous to Taipei that if I smelled it now, I would feel nothing but a warm nostalgia, I think. <laughs> Did you ever eat it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, probably on two or three occasions because um, okay. we ate it when we first came there. And then whenever somebody visited, we were like, yeah, we better get some stinky tofu. I feel like stinky tofu also gets a bad rep just by its name itself. It already sets you up to be like, well, if it stinks, how could it possibly be delicious? But 
in my opinion, stinky tofu is basically the Asian equivalent of cheese. Yeah. So this is just a tofu that has been marinated or just sort of coated in a sauce that is quite pungent. Do you know what what makes it smell so much? Like, what is that ingredient that makes it so powerful? Uh, no, the tofu has actually been left to ferment. Oh, right. So it's not just the sauce that's fermented; it's the tofu itself that's fermented. The f- tofu itself has been left to ferment a little to gain more flavor, much the same way that cheese is allowed to do so. Okay. So it is quite literally the Asian equivalent of cheese. Yeah. And it's one of those foods that it smells quite. I don't want to say bad, but when you first smell it, it does smell bad to you if you haven't gotten used to it. But when you taste it, you've never had it. Yes. yes. But then once you taste it, the flavor is very good, and then you start to like back associate that smell with that flavor, and you come around to it. Yes. I think you once said to me, and this was like the first one of the first times that it really clicked, that it's sort of similar to cumin. Yes. Personally, I think cumin smells a lot like body odor <laughs> by itself. If I just open a jar of cumin, I do not like the smell. But once you mix it in with like meats and cheeses, immediately it just evolves from being this weird body odor smell to、mm, Mexican food. <laughs> I also remember on the one occasion where、uh, we all went to meet, <laughs> well, we tried to meet Patrick Stewart, but instead we saw Hugh Jackman <laughs> on a small screen far away, and he was like, "Hey guys, <laughs> how about that stinky tofu, huh?" <laughs> I feel like you know part of it is also every country has the food that it's most famous for, and unfortunately for Taiwan, it's stinky tofu. So there is now this understanding that stinky tofu is on the menu if you come to Taiwan. Yeah, it just has to be. I mean, Hugh Jackman can't turn down stinky tofu, though. I mean, he has his Wolverine reputation. I mean, you don't want to be seen as the action star that can't handle his stinky tofu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, what would be next on your night market tour? Well, are we sticking to foods, or are we also going to branch out into drinkables? No, get those beverages. We need them. Bubble tea, then. How can you come to Taiwan, the birthplace of the bubble tea, and not get proper bubble tea? Yeah, and one thing that I sort of knew before, but upon returning to the U.S., like bubble tea has sort of started to take hold a little bit, but not correctly. Like when you have bubble tea in America, it's like this super. Actually, when I had it last, it was like a milkshake. Like it had been blended, so it was like a frappuccino, and the bubbles were kind of at the bottom, very <laughs> tiny and hard. I was like, no.、Ew. So Taiwanese milk tea is like, first of all, you can have it with any tea, any style, any level of sugar or milk or other accoutrement. But mainly, it's just that sweet milky tea with like. The giant pearls that are very soft and chewy and give you that QQ texture that you taught me about. <laughs> QQ is Taiwanese slang for when we're talking about certain foods like bubbles or Jello that have this quite chewy, almost bouncy texture to it. I feel like as a child, the first time I heard the phrase QQ, I just instinctively understood. Yes, that is exactly the word <laughs> to describe. The texture in my mouth. Yeah, like no explanation necessary. So one of my favorite variants on bubble tea is frog milk, which is another thing that in the Gongguan Night Market,、oh. like it was right across from us, the best frog milk in town. So we drank this pretty often. Right across from the Guabao place, actually, you have there are so many people. Like their dinner just consists of Guabao and frog milk. So the difference between frog milk and bubble tea is that. 
frog milk, there's no tea aspect to it. It's that the bubbles have been uh, soaked in kind of like, I would describe it as like a caramelly, brown sugary type of sauce. Brown sugar. Yes. So it kind of tastes like, you know, when you get like a coffee or tea that's been so heavily sweetened that like you can't really taste what was originally there. Here they've just embraced (laughs) that quality and made like the caramelly flavor the best flavor. And so you can have this cold in the summertime or warm in the wintertime. And it's like a perfect cozy walking around the night market drink. It is definitely the peel of this drink. There is the sugar. But most importantly, I think it's just an embracing love of all things QQ. Yeah, and like there's a lot of QQ options for your drinks, really. Like you can get uh, the little gelatins, and you can get the ones that are more like a, what is that? Like a pudding that they have there. I only had that like once. Oh or no, twice. they literally put like pudding. Yeah. Well, in Taiwan, it's called pudding. It's kind of like more like flan, I think, if you had to compare it to a Western equivalent. Yeah, or like uh, what's that called? The the French kind of flan. Panna cotta. It's like flavored panna cotta. So I don't know if that's QQ exactly, but it's sort of in that same uh, vein. It's silky. It's not very Q, but it's definitely got the silky, chewy texture. If you don't want to chew too much, you get the pudding in your tea instead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think I sent you an article recently, which is that uh, a prominent brand in Taipei called Happy Lemon has started to spread to the <laughs> United States. And, you know, on my, in my mind, this means, oh, yes, delicious bubble tea for everyone. But the one thing that caught everybody's fancy was something I had never heard of while I lived in Taipei, which was like, it's called salty cheese tea. And when I first heard this, I was like, what do you mean salty cheese tea? But when I investigated, it seems that what it actually is, is when they say cheese, they mean like cream cheese, like a cheesecake kind of flavor. So it's like a cheesecake kind of flavor that's like a little salted in the way that salted caramel is salted, like for contrast. I think it's more like heavy cream but it's been whipped, so it floats on top of the tea. Yeah. And they must have mixed up a little bit of cheese into it, and it's definitely sweet and salty at the same time. Yeah, so I was just, first of all, so disappointed that I never drank this while I was in Taipei. And secondly, I was a little disappointed that, like, happy lemon is coming, and that's the one thing everyone is fixated on. And not the happiness of the lemons? Yeah, that's right. Or, like, there's so many good options at happy lemon. They once gave me a phone charm, and it was the only phone charm I ever had, so that's the one I used. (laughs) They really pulled you in with that phone charm, because every time you pass by a Happy Lemon on the street, you're like, oh, it's our store, it's Happy Lemon. That's right, it's my official sponsor. (laughs) I would say the thing with the cheese tea is that it has been around for a very long time, and I guess I just never talked about it with you, and you never saw me drink it, because... I tend to like my teas unsweetened. So if you drink unsweetened tea, pro tip to everybody out there, if you are a happy lemon and they're asking you to customize your tea and you're ordering a cheese tea, do not get it unsweetened. (laughs) I made this mistake a very, very long time ago. Andy once also made the mistake of ordering a coffee with sea salt unsweetened. Yeah, it was like a salted caramel with no caramel. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just the salt coffee. Yes, it was terrible. (laughs) One thing I really like about uh, Taiwanese beverages in general is that they encourage you to choose your own level of sweetness and of ice, but that's like a little less important to me. But like the sugar level, you can have it like the full 100% or zero or anywhere in between. So, like, for me, 25% sweet is usually what I want, but, like, if you change your mind, you can always tweak it to meet whatever your current 
flavor craving is. I've also heard urban legends of people who even order their drinks double sweetness. Oh, no! <laughs> but speaking of sweets, do we have any night market sweets to round off our tour? Yes, shaped ice, mango ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, for me, the thing that is unique about Taiwanese shaved ice is that I think when we eat shaved ice, it's more like, I don't know what we used to shave it, but, like, the pieces are very big and kind of chunky, like a snow cone, I guess. But Taiwanese shaved mm -hmm. ice, it's like a special machine that makes, like, these paper-thin layers of ice, and they pile it up like a mountain. Well, the thing is, when I was a child, the shaved ice, I think, was universal. It was just literally, like, a huge chunk of ice that they had a machine for shaving and it was just literally little chips of ice but at some point i think when i was in high school people discovered that you could freeze milk oh and when you shaved milk the consistency of milk when it is frozen is very different from the consistency of water when it's frozen and when you shave that that is when you get those delicate paper thin shavings of ice that you talk about so lovingly tracy is that really what that was i never knew that was milk yes yeah, so in chinese we actually have a different word for you know traditional shaved ice and the delicious lovely snowy ice that has been popular in the recent years and we call it like mian mian bing because mian is the chinese word for cotton really. Uh. And it's just talking about how soft and fluffy the ice is. Man, I never knew that. It is a new thing, and it is my favorite kind of shaved ice, too, because like you, I just love how fluffy it is, but how it just kind of melts in your mouth. Because, well, obviously it's still ice. But the texture is just completely different. None of this, like, I'm chewing on ice nonsense that I had to endure in my childhood. I had no idea that was a modern innovation. So what are your favorite shaved ice flavors? It's gotta be mango. I'm pretty sure I've only eaten mango. Unless, like, I think I had one that was, like, a red bean flavor. What is your favorite that I missed out on? I would say, you're right, mango is the classic. You can never go wrong with the mango flavor. But recently, I've been discovering that my favorite mango shaved ice place, um, Smoothie King, they also have bubble tea flavored shaved ice. So the ice itself is tea flavored which they drizzle with condensed milk, and they give you a little serving of bubbles on the side. Oh, that's real cute! Like, they can't put the bubbles directly on top of the ice because freezing bubbles makes them lose their cuteness. So, the fresher the bubbles, the cuter they are. Actually, my, my personal favorite Taiwanese ice cream-related concoction is the ice cream burrito. But maybe you can remind me of what the actual name of this food is? No, it, I think it's just... It really is ice cream burrito? I think so, because, well, it's named after the Taiwanese food called a renbing, which is what we often refer to just as a Taiwanese burrito. So this is a food that's also like a street food, like you can get it in any night market, and it's like these thin... I, like the texture of these is a little weird, like I, the kind of pancake that they use is the wrap. It's like a little chewy. It doesn't taste like a tortilla or like a crepe. It's like got a little gelatinous quality to it. And inside will be three tiny scoops of different flavors of ice cream. And I'm not sure what they are, but I think one of them's taro. And one of them is like a... Um, you can typically specify what flavors you want. Yeah, I don't know. I never knew what they had, so I just let them roll with it. So usually you get like <laughs> one of each, three different ones. And on top of this, we'll go 
cilantro, which is ingenious topping for ice cream that I never considered, and like peanut brittle shavings. Like alongside this cart, they have this giant brick of peanut brittle that the guy is just shaving with like a little lathe or whatever that thing's called. And they top it, they top the burrito with the peanut shavings and then they roll it up. And it's, it's delicious. It's an idea that just, I cannot believe it has stayed in Taiwan because it needs to spread all over the world. So that I can have one right now is what I'm getting at. There are no ice cream burritos <laughs> here. And even if I made one with like a tortilla and chocolate ice cream, it would not be the same. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you could probably, you have the ice cream. You probably don't have the same flavors, but you could make do with vanilla because you can't, you can never really go wrong with vanilla. You can get the cilantro. You could probably get the peanut brittle, but I think it's just the wrapping. Yeah. Because I don't really know what material those wraps are made out of, but I understand what you mean. The texture is just not a typical tortilla because it's not really made out of flour or corn. I think it might have rice in it. Yeah, I was thinking the closest would be like the wraps you get for Vietnamese rolls. But I think like the key flavor that you might be able to capture with vanilla ice cream and whatever wrapping you have is the peanut brittle and the cilantro with the ice cream. Because mm -hmm. it's just, first of all, cilantro is not a food I think of as ever coming into contact with desserts. And then the little peanut brittle bits, which are delicious on their own. If you just gave me a bag of those, I would happily munch them all night. But on top of the ice cream with the cilantro, it's just the ideal flavor combination. It's so good. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's actually surprising how many street foods in Taiwan have cilantro and peanuts. Maybe not peanut brittle, but just peanut, peanut form or peanut powder form. For instance, Gua Bao has both of them as well. My mom's favorite pig blood has both peanut powder and cilantro as well. <laughs> I feel like maybe that's the universal theme of Taiwanese street food. Can you put cilantro and peanuts on this? I just feel like I've made Taiwan sound like the worst place in the world for anybody with a peanut allergy, and it probably is. Well, not just peanut allergies, but those people who have like bad cilantro mouth, or it just tastes like soap to them. Yeah. <laughs> If you are both allergic to peanuts, and you think cilantro tastes like soap, none of the above mentioned foods are for you. <laughs> Although, there are plenty of foods that would be. Like, one thing we haven't even talked about, probably because it's not a night market food, is beef noodle soup. Oh my gosh, I have so many opinions about that, Tracy. <laughs> I know, we really should do a whole episode on beef noodle soup. But um, So this was like the food that sort of was impressed upon me as the essential Taiwanese food. And like, I would say that I'm not a huge fan of noodle soups in general, but like beef noodle soup is like a very unique and varied cuisine because like no one can agree on what makes a good beef noodle soup. Like your favorite is different from Andy's favorite, and my favorite was something that no one had ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's also, I remember I once went to a beef noodle soup restaurant with a friend, and I was just appalled by her. And I don't know that she actually did anything wrong, but in my mind she did, which is she ate all of the noodles but did not finish her soup. <laughs> I mean, I think I can relate to this because sometimes they give you so much soup. Like, sometimes it's an enormous bowl. And, like, the noodles are the part that oh, yeah. fill your stomach. So, like, you eat as much of the broth as you can. But if it's too big, then sometimes I just couldn't finish it all either. But, like, usually the broth is where all the good flavor is. So it's a little... I can see how that might insult the chef if he was watching. Broth is what sets this recipe apart from another restaurant. Like, noodles are more or less the same, unless it's, like, 
those hand-cut noodles. Otherwise, you know, you're going for the broth. Are there more foods that you miss from Taiwan? Actually, one food that we did not talk about, but that I had like a unique like for that I don't know that anyone else shared was coffin bread, which I only ate once or twice. What is coffin bread? Coffin bread, if I am correct, is like a giant slice of bread that's like maybe the width of two or three pieces of bread. And it's been hollowed out and filled with what is sort of like the texture of a clam chowder or a potato soup. And it's just a bread full of soup. It's a bread bowl. It's a Taiwanese bread bowl. (laughs) (laughs) So it made me nostalgic for something like uh, chicken and dumplings or like soup and crackers, something that I ate as a kid and was like comfort food. I will admit, I've never eaten coffin bread. I'm (laughs) looking at pictures of it right now and wondering how in the world I have missed this. It's actually, it's not that prominent. Like, it was rare to be walking through the night market and just see a place serving coffin bread. It was more often in those, like, indoor places where you could kind of sit down. Uh, So it's not really a street food. No, imagine, like, eating this while you're walking around. You just couldn't do it. It would be a mess. Okay, so it looks like it's something that started in the south of Taiwan, in Tainan. So it could be that it's just not that widespread in Taipei yet. It could be. Maybe it'll gain popularity. Now that I'm Googling it, I like the coffin breads that are shaped like coffins, so maybe it'll become like a Halloween food. Like spooky clam chowder. I mean, also, based on a lot of the pictures I'm seeing, I think my problem with it, just based on the visuals, my first impression is that a lot of these breads are not deep enough. No, it's got to be like one of these like almost triple or even quadruple deep breads. Yes. Um, so it's almost like too much carby food is like this really dense soup <laughs> and uh, four slices of bread. So what filling did you have when you ate coffin bread? It was like a soup or like a chowder. And I keep saying clam chowder, mm. but there was no fishiness to it. It was just tasted like creamy. It had bits of like like some vegetables, like probably some carrots or peas or something really kind of typical chowdery food like that, or like some mushroom bits maybe. I mean, the more I look at it, it really does look like a typical like bread bowl that you see in American culture, but instead of being sourdough and with either cream of broccoli or clam chowder, it's just some generic cream soup and it's just a really, really thick cut slice of toast. Yeah. Um, so, like, I wouldn't necessarily say I missed this food because I only ate it once or twice, but... I would say it's definitely something that piques my curiosity. Like, I would go and try this, and I might even go back for seconds. Um, so the other food that I always got in Taipei was the... These were similar to scallion pancakes, but it was, like, scallion pancake pinwheels. Ah, yes! The flavor of these is, I would say, most similar to a calzone, like... Except the calzone is filled with nothing but scallions, <laughs> which doesn't make it sound appetizing it because you're making it, you're imagining it like the shape of a calzone, but it's like a really tight kind of braided pinwheel that's spiraled up and it's also like deep fried. So it's got like that really crispy, oily texture that's good. And it's not really filled with scallions yeah. so much as it's like studded with scallions. I would say the scallion to starch ratio would probably be like, scallions and 70% fried starch. Yeah, but I guess I compare it to a calzone because it has a sort of similar feeling when you're eating it of just like eating a large bready fried food. I mean, I think this stuff is really freaking delicious. I mean, I stand with you on these scallion pinwheels. They're very, very good. 
Um, but the other things that I used to get in night markets all the time were either things that were not actually Taiwanese. Like we used to eat, um, we used to eat takoyaki and we used to eat like those little dim sum boxes that is like not great dim sum, but like very satisfying. Uh, or it would be like these little trendy pop-up places. Like remember when there was like dirt cup ice cream, like those things that you eat as a kid where it's like a little cup of ice cream with Oreo crumbles and gummy worms on top. So it looks like a dirt cup. <laughs> I'm just sad that I've never gotten the... Man's torso milk tea. What is that? It's basically milk tea, but it comes in a bottle that they sculpted. It's like it's shaped like a man, like a muscled man's torso. And I think they have these for like women as well. So you know, because the milk tea looks really similar to a person's skin color. Oh, I see. Damn, Google's not helping me out with that one, but we're gonna find it and we're gonna link it because that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of anything that comes in a novelty cup. Like, I imagine that this is something I would proudly display in my home after I drank it. Or at least, like, you could continue filling it with your own milk tea. Yes. I mean, this is more expensive than um, normal milk tea because you're paying for the bottle. It's worth it, though. It'll be okay. <laughs> and maybe, like, they'll do the thing where you can keep refilling the bottle for a lower price. Um, It's not Taiwanese, but something that... I feel like when we're in Taiwan, we should still eat is pineapple buns. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pineapple buns do not have any pineapple. Now this, I never knew until you explained it to me. Pineapple buns are thus named in Hong Kong because they're basically these bread buns that were coated in butter and then popped into the oven. And somehow the top of the bun splits open during the baking process. So when they come out, they basically make people think of pineapples in the way that they've kind of cracked open. And so they're basically named for what pineapples are called in Hong Kong. But Hong Kong people and Taiwanese people have very different ideas of what a pineapple should be called. So it's really confusing sometimes when you are not a native Chinese speaker and you're trying to reconcile fruits <laughs> in different parts of Asia. Yeah, so the weird thing about pineapple buns is that because they're called pineapple buns, I would eat them and kind of like in my mind insert the pineapple. I was like, ah, yes, that's sweet <laughs> pineapple flavor. I know what pineapple bun should taste like. Until I told her there was no pineapple in it and she got so confused. Um, well, I'll give my recommendation. I actually started to read a book series that you recommended to me like ages ago. Which is the Lunar Chronicles. This is a book series where it's like fairy tales in space. Uh, I read the first book and I really <laughs> liked it. So I started the second one and this is rare for me, but it looks like I may be in it for the long haul series wise because I really like a just like a, a YA book that goes down easy. And that's what these are. The first one's about Cinderella and the second one's kind of a little Red Riding Hood. But it's the thing I really like about these books is that they're not so strict to the fairy tale where it's like, and this corresponds with this, and this corresponds with this. Like, they, they give it just enough as it needs to gain a foothold, and then they kind of go really creative with it and build up their own sci-fi worlds. Uh, and, like, all the characters, I guess, are going to become interconnected, and that's pretty cool. So it's probably going to be, like, a whole Firefly crew eventually. I would say the emphasis on these books is that the fairy tale inspiration is more of a vehicle but the story is really about a dystopian society and revolution. So yeah, I recommend The Lunar Chronicles. Well, in that case, let's stay on the space punk thread. 
because for one thing, I just finally watched Thor Ragnarok today. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. How was it? I loved it. Mainly because they decided to kind of say, you know, like we've been saying the Asgardians are basically really high-tech space aliens. Well, we're going to really emphasize the fact that they are space aliens, this movie. (laughs) Bring on all the space technology. Oh man, it looks so fun. And I freaking loved it. And the music. Basically, every space punk video game that you've ever played in the 90s or watched somebody else play, it's... It's that. My recommendation is not actually not sore. I'm just saying that I am in this mood because I watched the movie today. So just staying on this theme of space punk, I would say my recommendation is just Gundams. Oh, yes. Because I freaking love Gundams for anybody who knows me. I would say go and watch the 8th MS Team. 8th MS Team. It is probably the best Gundam series. It's short. It's got about, I think, 13 episodes, so it's not going to take you too long. It's a tight little story about one of the military units and the commander who basically has to decide if he is fighting a war that he believes in. And part of the journey is that he falls in love with the younger sister of the man who is leading the opposition. Oh, scandalous. Yes, yes. Actually, this is a very common theme in a lot of the Gundam series. The main character tends to fall in love with the sister of his main enemy. Or just whoever is the least convenient in the world. That's the one. Thanks for listening to Midnight Breakfast Cafe. To get the latest episodes, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter at NBC Podcasts. You can find links to things we mentioned this episode at midnightbreakfastcafe.wordpress.com. And if you're enjoying this show, please like and review us on iTunes. It helps new listeners find us. Happy breakfast and brunch, everyone. Bye!